watching. Children's programming. So yeah, episode. Four. Welcome to children's program. Yeah, episode four, number four. Episode, oh 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 four. Yes, to be exact. Oh 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 four. Um, um, I am Nick Parodies of the Nick Parodies podcast that doesn't actually exist. I am Matt Dixon of the Matt Dixon Experience that doesn't exist. <laughs> that would be an incredible show. Yeah, I, I think I need my own talk show. I would pay to see that. I've always thought that you and me would be like a great late night duo we should do that the children's programming like, um, late night experience yeah past your bedtime with parodies and dixon <laughs> that's like that's actually a great idea imagine imagine like me as jimmy kimball and you as Guillermo, except the two of us are actually funny that's a that's a deep cut <laughs> so what you're trying to say is america's most popular talk show host is not actually that funny that is exactly what I'm trying to say. There has not been a funny talk show host on the American airwaves since um, Craig Ferguson retired. Really? And Craig Ferguson was an import. I think that Seth Meyers is pretty okay. Seth Meyers is all yeah. right. I thought he was better doing the joke stuff on SNL, though. I think Jimmy Fallon's probably the least prevalent these days. Jimmy Fallon is like... I feel like people... I feel like nobody likes him, but they everybody kind of just tolerates him, so he stays around. Yeah, like he nobody likes him, but nobody hates him either. So there's no reason to get rid of him. When he was on SNL, was he like a really big deal at the time? Um, the only thing I know about his SNL days is that he did blackface as Chris Rock. Back before it was back when it was still okay. Yeah, the, in, in the late 90s. The pre-Tropic Thunder era. <laughs> yes. Tropic Thunder is probably the last time anybody will ever do blackface. In a you would think, sarcastic right? way, yes. What? Unless Spike Lee decides to throw it in a movie again. Oh, yeah. I think, Bamboozled. I think he's the only one who's allowed to do that these days. Um, Spike Lee is probably the only person who's allowed to do a lot of things in Hollywood. True. We love Spike here. <laughs> we do. Spike is... I, I don't understand people who hate Spike Lee. I mean, like, he's... People people say that he's racist. He's not. People say that he's a shitty filmmaker. He's not. He's he's made some shitty films. But most, most like, mainstream uh, directors have made some bad films. Yeah, but he's not even really a mainstream director, I don't think. I mean, even when he was, you know, prevalent in the 90s, he wasn't really that huge. Oh, I don't even know. Was he that huge of a director with the whole, like, Nike endorsement and all that and making films for them? He might. He was kind of like, he was big, but I don't know if he ever transcended from being big amongst black Americans to being big amongst Americans in general. Mm -hmm. I know he was a critical favorite. Like Roger Ebert and, and Gene Siskel were always singing his praises every time. Yeah, I think he, he Do the Right Thing was one of the only movies that Ebert ever cried in. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. he felt And they both get like like I, I love to go back and, and watch their reviews. Like they, they loved uh Jungle Fever, they loved um Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they have Clockers a good review. I feel like I remember seeing that at one point. So yeah, his '90s movies are always well perceived. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. 
but like you said, like not so with his more recent output. Yeah, the only like Black Klansman is kind of the exception. Yeah, I felt like that got a lot of praise from uh, all around. It did. Like, but like other than that, I mean, like Red Hook Summer that wasn't doing it for anybody. Santa Anna movie, the right thing sequel. The uh, miracle at Santa um, Anna. Yeah. Uh, old boy. Old boy, your favorite. The the only uh, the only Spike Lee joint that's not a joint. It's a Spike Lee film <laughs> because he hated it so much. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, even uh, like uh, one day, one day we demand to to re- release the Lee cut <laughs> of Old Boy. Fuck all this. Release the Snyder cut nonsense. Release the Lee cut. I remember right when around that was coming out, he was raising money for the sweet blood of Jesus. Yep. And and that tanked also. Yeah, he was doing an interview about. Well, he was doing uh, uh, a Kickstarter for it at the time and raising money. And mm-hmm. people were like Spike, you have all this money. Why would you make a movie like this? You know, and why would you ask people to fund it when you have the money? And his response yeah. was, "Well, Old Boy is a uh, commercial movie." The Sweet Blood of Jesus is a like a Spike Lee movie, like an independent movie. So mm-hmm. I can't get the support which, for it, but, which gives you a bad sign already to begin with. <laughs> yeah, because if it was really good enough, they would have found him support. Have you ever seen his old boy? I haven't. Yeah. We have to watch it one night. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen too many Spike Lee movies. It's, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. In how bizarre it is. I've heard, especially because I don't know if you've seen the original. No, I have not. Okay, you got the original is amazing, and the 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 remake is fascinating because he talked about. I remember when it came out, he talked about like how it was going to be so different. It was going to be a, a completely its own thing, and it is. But all of the things that he changed are terrible, and it also complete. Uh, it also constantly references the original film, but in like weird ways. Like there's a scene in the original film where, um, uh, it, forget the characters, uh, Daisu gets out of um, his his prison, and he eats a live octopus because he's been eating nothing but dumplings for fifteen years, and he's like, I want to eat something alive. So he he eats a live octopus in the movie, and the actor really ate a live octopus, by the way, which is awesome. Devotion. But so in in the Spike Lee version, this does not happen. But there's a scene where he goes to a Chinese restaurant and looks at an octopus in a fish tank, and it's like supposed to be like a reference. But like you, they didn't even do it right. Oh, so he did that in the original movie, and in this movie, he just, you know, in the, in the Josh Brolin one, he just looks at the octopus and then walks away. Or there's like another. There's a famous scene where in the original film where he beats up like fifty guys with a hammer, and it's all like one take. And then in the Spike Lee version, they did it all one take, but then chopped it up in editing. Mm-hmm. And you can see the one take version in the deleted scenes. And then in the movie, it's multiple takes. So it, it makes no sense. Like, why why even have it there if, if you're just going to... I, I don't know. Anyways, My curiosity we is... Should, we should watch it one we, night. That should be our first episode of the children's programming uh, commentary hour. 
the old boy remake. Yes. I love it. Yeah, we could even do a double feature. We'll do that, and then we'll do, uh, you know, something else. The real one. Yeah, we could do that, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Going back to that, um, like, why do you think Spike was the one who suggested making that movie in the first place? Or was it just the company wanted to remake no. the movie? Here's the interesting thing, because I did a lot of research into this back when I was still a YouTuber, quote unquote. I was writing a script for like this long in-depth video about this movie and it, I eventually scrapped it and that was like two years ago now. But I did a lot of research into this and this was basically a director for a hire job for Spike Lee. Like he didn't write it, he didn't produce it. He just kind of came on and for the longest time, Steven Spielberg was actually supposed to do it. Really? Steven Spielberg was going to be doing it with Will Smith as the lead character. And um, for whatever reason, that fell apart and Spike Lee came on and Josh Brolin came on. But, I mean, would the, Steve, the Steven Spielberg version, like, is, Steven Spielberg is a better director than Spike Lee, I think. But I can't imagine how a Steven Spielberg old boy would have been any better than the Spike Lee version we got. I, in fact, I think it would be astronomically worse. I can't imagine the script was any good to begin with. So even if it was Spielberg, it, was, it would have been mm -hmm. not much better. Yeah. Like Steven Spielberg, Old Boy is a fucked up movie. For anybody that does has not seen it, I won't spoil it because it has one of the most amazing plot twists of all time. Mm. But I mean, there is like brutal murders and like really fucked up shit in there who, like all kinds of sexual perversion who directed the original like uh park chan wook oh so he's a korean director yeah okay, okay. he did um he did like uh sympathy for lady vengeance was one of his mm -hmm. um the handmaiden was one of his remember that from a few years ago okay that was like the big one of the foreign award winners mm -hmm. The only American movie he's made was Stoker with Nicole Kidman, mm. which I have never actually watched. But I will one day because I have it on Blu-ray. Fantastic. Um, but no, I can't imagine like Steven Spielberg. When you think of Steven Spielberg movies, you don't think of sexual perversion, brutal murder, uh, sadistic torture methods. Like, these are not the things you think of with Steven Spielberg or with Will Smith. So I can't imagine how this would have been successful in any event. It just makes me wonder why Spike would take on a project like that. Maybe he really needed the money. That's a possibility. I noticed that there's a couple instances that they'll take um, a foreign movie and then basically remake it in the United States. Because obviously mm -hmm. the original has a great story, but, you know, they're going to make it more for the American audience, kind of like how they turned Infernal Affairs into The Departed. Mm -hmm. So, And sometimes it works like yeah. that, but other times you get old boy. Yeah. Can you think of any other examples? Uh, Dark Water with Jennifer Connelly. Remember that one? Mm -hmm. It was like uh, this... I've never seen either version, but it was like this excellent, apparently excellent Chinese like horror movie. And then they did like an American remake of it. And uh, everyone hated it, except Peter Travers, who said even Hitchcock could not have done it better. I'm guessing he was paid for that review. I'm, I would assume so. There's still a bounty out on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, it's happened a few times. I can't think of other ones off the top of my head, but it's definitely happened. It happens a lot with Asian stuff. Mm-hmm. And like some European stuff, I guess, too. But like Europeans don't come out with his fucked up kind of movies, I don't think. Other than like The Girl of the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, that one's that, that was, trilogy is a lot more violent than the one you see by David Fincher. Yeah, and the David Fincher one is really violent. Yeah. So, like anybody who's seen that and not the originals, like, yikes! Did you ever watch the um, the Claire Foy version from two years ago? The which one? The Spiders Girl and the Spiders Web. Oh, they made a movie about the the new book that somebody wrote. Yeah. No, I haven't. Yeah. It's it's okay. It, it wasn't that like I was expecting it to be trash because it's a not David Fincher and not Rooney Mara and not Daniel Craig's sequel to this excellent adaptation. But it was it was surprisingly they got uh, Lakeith Stanfield from Atlanta in it. Yes. And um, somebody else. I'm drawing a blank on on who else was in that movie, but it was it was okay. Oh, Stephen Merchant was in it. The fucking the British Office guy. I didn't enjoy the original, uh, the David Fincher one, just because it made me you it didn't? made me uncomfortable, so I stopped watching it. That doesn't happen that's a lot. The point, though. Yeah, I know it's supposed to make you uncomfortable, but if that's the case, I don't probably see myself watching the the remake or not the remake, gotcha. the original. Maybe don't watch Old Boy then either, because Old Boy will also make you uncomfortable. <laughs> will it? No, it, it doesn't happen very often. Just, just didn't do anything for okay. me. I tried to read the book a bunch of times, but it was just too much. Mm. Yeah, I don't read books, so I can't comment. Yeah. Books are for losers. <laughs> My guy doesn't want to get educated over here. No, you haven't read, I'm, I'm, you haven't read any books? I'm happy living in bliss. In your... No, I read books, but I just not nowhere near as often as I watch films. You read biographies mostly? Mostly. Yeah. There's nothing... I've said this before, um, you can get, it's all about rock star autobiographies, there's nothing better, because you can learn from a book, you can learn from a, a book that somebody else wrote that Mick Jagger and Mary Ann Faithful had a relationship in the late 60s and it didn't work out, but you can learn from Keith Richards' book that the reason she broke up with him was because she was, quote, unimpressed with his small dick. That's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, autobiographies are definitely much better because mm-hmm. you're you're, you're getting directly the stories from the individual. You're yeah. not just getting hearsay. Mm-hmm. I agree. Are you enjoying the Beastie Books for the Beastie Books, the Beastie Boys book? The Beastie book the be- is for the children. Are you enjoying the? I am. There's a lot of cool shit in here, like like original copies of the lyrics and like letters and stuff, mm-hmm. cartoons. They were probably one of the first All kinds of, uh, like white rap bands, right? Yeah. They they I think they were the first. I can't think of anybody that was around before them. And um they were like I mean, we see like white rappers today and they're kind of a joke. Yeah. Like nobody really takes them seriously like G-Eazy and like Machine Gun Kelly. All these people that like no one cares about. But, like, the Beastie Boys were, like, really accepted by everyone in the hip-hop world. They were, like, everybody was just down with them. Do you think that, to some extent, uh, some white rappers kind of take advantage of the culture? 100%. Elaborate. You get guys... Elaborate. 
I mean, it's. I, I don't think there's any question that that has happened. I mean, I mean, I've heard people any, like any, post called like a culture vulture. The thing, it's 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 like a weird thing to say because like. It's it's a tough thing to judge somebody on because you really don't know what's going on in anybody else's head, whether it's like if they really are passionate about this music and really are passionate about this lifestyle, then it's like you can't really judge. But I mean, I, there's definitely people that I think just do it to get attention. I mean, I I, I think G Easy. There's a lot of that. Um, but it more, more like when they come from a richer background, like remember when Tom Hanks's son was a rapper, Chet, yeah. Chet Hanks, <laughs> Chet Hanks, Chet Hayes, oh. and he, he feuded with Howard Stern. Remember that happened? No, I don't. Tell me the story. So he, um, Howard Stern was like talking about Tom Hanks's son being a rapper on his show. And he was like. <laughs> Where did he grow up? Beverly Hills. What a fucking douche. And then, like, Tom Hanks, Chet Hayes, like, he went after Howard Stern. He was like, man, I promise I won't beat you up uh, if you invite me on your show and all this shit. And then he was like, he accused Howard Stern of not having as much bread as his family. Which <laughs> <laughs> is all this shit. And it was like, it was just so funny because it's like, Poor Tom Hanks. Like, he did everything right. It's, it's like, completely double-sided because his one other son is, like, you know, he looks exactly like him and he's an actor and he's, like, well-respected. Yeah. And then A super upstanding citizen. Like, he's very politically active, very, very kind to people. And then there's Chet. Yeah. The star of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Chet Hayes. Oh, my God. The, the, remember that kid in the library scene? I have not seen it in he's like, years. He's, he's like, you want, you want to know how to be an archaeologist? Get out of the library. And he's on the motorcycle in the library with Shia LaBeouf. That nerdy kid is played by Chet Hayes. Oh God, he probably got bought into that. <laughs> he must have been. Yeah. I mean, well, Steven Spielberg and, and Tom Hanks are friends. Obviously. So. How can you not be friends with Tom He Hanks? seems like a nice guy. He's apparently like the nicest guy ever. Yeah. Like him, Tom Cruise, and Adam Sandler are apparently like the three people that everyone in Hollywood has like nothing but good things to say about. Them. Two of those I can understand. The one I'm very, very concerned about him being nice. Which one are you confused I'm about? I'm referring to Tom Cruise. Oh, because he's a, a weirdo cultist? Yes. Um, Is he nice intentionally? Maybe that's, maybe that's why. I mean, I, I've I've heard from people testimonies from people who have like met, met Tom Cruise where he's like, he's super engaged every time he's talking to you. Like you, you always know that he's listening. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't know. Maybe he is just a really nice person who is in this weird religious cult. Maybe they have dirt on him. They definitely have dirt on him. But he's like the second in command of like all of Scientology, apparently. Yeah, but if he were to leave, that would like it goes L. Ron Hubbard and then him. What about uh, Miskevich? Isn't he the current leader of the organization? Oh yeah, you're right. I forgot L. Ron Hubbard was dead. <laughs> yes, he's been dead for quite you a while. You know what I meant. You know what I meant, though. Yeah. Um, like, if anything, he's the one. He's the one who has the power. 
Tom Cruise because mm-hmm. he's the more relevant one. Like yeah, the, him and John Travolta. They definitely have dirt on John Travolta. I think. Um, do you do you believe the Tom Cruise is gay rumors? No. Is there any part of you that believes that he doesn't give off those vibes? What about John Travolta? John Travolta, I can see. I can see that being his uh, his his dirty secret. Yeah. Mm. Or he's done. What do you think? Tom something Cruise's really dirty legal. secret is. <laughs> what do you think Tom Cruise's secret is? I think he's got no secrets other than Chet being Chet. Um, I was talking about Tom Cruise, not Tom Hanks, but oh, Tom Cruise. I'm sorry. Wow, I just. It's okay. I had him. Tom Tom Cruise's son has been in movies too. Has he? Yeah, he was in uh, the Red Dawn remake. Remember when that was a yeah. thing? Well, yeah. in the um, in the Scientology documentary that they made, one of them, there was a um, mm-hmm. discussion about um, he was trying to leave in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, he was ready to go, and then all of a sudden, he just got really back on hoeing to it. So they, I feel like they definitely. That's the only reason they keep people in is because of having some sort of dirt on them because mm-hmm. if you watch that documentary there's a lot of screwed up stuff that goes on there is that the the leah ramini one no it's the one um alex gibney directed it he's the guy that directed the enron documentary oh okay. he directed catching hell if you ever seen the 30 for 30 documentary about steve bartman mm. um but it was a very um very strange movie Jason Lee was a Scientologist, wasn't he? Yeah, he only got out recently. I think uh, Ethan Supley, who is obviously his good friend, is still involved. Mm. But uh, yeah, for years he was um, involved. I think he got divorced uh, as a result of it, or it might have been a contributor. Mm. Um, Jesus. But it's just, uh, it's strange that celebrities are so involved in it, because it's a very risky religion, quote-unquote. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not surprised. People... People in Hollywood are so fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, nothing surprises me. The, all those Richard Gere shoving a gerbil in his ass rumors, <laughs> like, it's probably true. They just do weird shit out there. Well, that's the reason I think a lot of people are still stuck in it is because they have too much on them. Because the, mm-hmm. the main idea of Scientology is, you know, confessing your sins to somebody. And it's all written and down. And they write it all it's down. It's all written down. And save it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they've got dirt on it just about everybody, so... Yeah, and they're known for trying to destroy people who leave the uh, leave the fold. Speaking of uh, weird religious cults, did you know that Heaven's Gate still exists? Yes, there is a uh, website for Heaven's Gate still on the internet. Yeah, and there's like two people that are still around from the cult that are like here to to cultivate the future. That's a good pun there. <laughs> yeah. Did um did the main guy actually end up killing himself with the group, or did he just like say? No, he okay. did. His name was Marshall Applewhite, by the way. Is that the guy? Which I just find hilarious. Is that the bald guy with the strange eye? Strange face? Yeah. 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 He also castrated himself at one point. Any particular reason why? Uh, The Heaven's Gate members did not believe in um, sex. They said there was absolutely no sex in the afterlife. So, uh... Some people took that to the extreme and castrated themselves. Cults are very interesting. Yeah. Like the sex called in Tiger King. Mm-hmm. Have you finally finished it yet? I'm up to episode five. Okay, I will not spoil it for you then. I've just finished it, so. Okay. Gotcha. The rabbit hole goes very I, I, deep. 
But I've seen um, I've seen the did Carol kill her husband and all that stuff. She one hundred percent. I see. Um, one hundred percent did. Yes. He's he's chopped up. He was fed to the tigers. The guy's entire family thinks that she did it. Uh-huh. The guy's closest confidant said he did it. His business uh-huh. partner said that she did it. <laughs> Everyone said he was scared for his life and was ready to take out the insurance money. He was prepping for a divorce. And then he goes missing. And for all those cool cats and kittens to find. And then all the money goes to her. Just as he's about yep. to divorce her and try to make sure she doesn't get his money. Very, very suspicious. And how the his will just mysteriously disappeared. The yep. day that she and her husband came to go give a visit to the office. Mm-hmm. So Yep. Very uh all very strange. I mean, it's easy for somebody with when there's no evidence to to try to defend themselves, but when um how soon until we get a Joe Exotic biopic? There's been a lot of uh, memes on the internet about that, about who would play who. Yeah. Who would uh who would play Joe Exotic? It had to be Nicolas Cage, no doubt. Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage would make a perfect Joe Exotic. Is he doing his Con Air accent? Yes. <laughs> I think um, David Spade is the correct choice here. Maybe remind everybody that David Spade has never made a good movie. <laughs> I mean, no, he has not. He's also never made a drama. A David Spade drama uh, would, he's be still the, the right choice. would be the, the move. What about Edward Norton? He's interested. Was He said he was interested? He was fighting with David Spade about it. About who would get to he's play? He's like, no, nah, I'm going to do it. About who would get to play Joe Exotic? Yeah. Well, I would prefer uh, Edward Norton more because he's more of a character actor. So that would make yeah. more sense. Dax Shepard was also interested. I feel like everybody's just saying it now because it's like the cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, would, would that even make a good biopic, though? Probably not, but... I, I don't see much much in the storyline that would make it a good a good movie in general because what, what are you going to tell? Nothing what, that isn't already in the documentary. What narrative can you even put across? Him trying to, I guess it would be about him trying to get um, Carol killed, mm. but like, seems lame. It, it's like the the Ted Bundy movie with Zac Efron. Mm. Like, just watch the documentary that was also released at the same time. Yes, that was interesting. The guy that directed that actually, he directed the documentary too. They he did both. Yeah, uh, Joe Berlinger, which is like, yeah, he's actually a local filmmaker. Great documentary filmmaker. He's a local filmmaker actually. He lives around yeah, here. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually on the board of the the Woodstock Film Festival. I oh. was looking forward to if he was there uh, last year, if I could uh, meet him because I'm very a big fan of his. But when mm-hmm. you're volunteering at things like that, you don't really want to harass people like that, I, you know. Yeah. Like Matt Dillon was there last year, and I was um, very eager to interview him, but I did not get in the right group. Because <laughs> yeah. we basically picked a different group. Everybody picked like what shift you wanted to do. And I did uh-huh. not pick the uh, Matt Dillon shift. Who would you be perfect for in a biopic? Me? Yeah. Um, Matt Dixon as blank. I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. That's the thing. Who talks very, like, who would, who talks very monotone who would and no interest, has nothing interesting to say? <laughs> who, who would I be great as? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. This is a this is a dead conversation. This is a dead conversation. I always thought that if they ever made like a 
a Red Hot Chili Peppers movie that I would be a great either Anthony Kiedis or Flea. You can make a great Flea. Yeah. Just get my, my bass. Learn how to do what he does. Walk around in tidy whiteies 24-7. What's your thoughts on movie biopics? Um, there's They're either really, really good or not worth your time at all. Mm. And the best ones tend to... I, I feel like the be- there's exceptions like Malcolm X where it really is a comprehensive look at a guy's whole life. But the best ones, the ones that I love the most, like uh, Walk the Line, um, Ali, these are movies that like just focus on one specific element and one specific time period and just do that. Because like if um, Bohemian Rhapsody is a good example of this, like it's good. It's okay. It's solid, but I don't love it's it. Just the, part of the it's problem, just the PowerPoint presentation of Freddie Mercury's life in some extent. Yeah. Obviously better than something like Gotti, but... <laughs> yeah. It's 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 basically a, a two-hour music video. I agree. And that's cool because, like, I like Queen as much as the next guy, and I was impressed with how they restaged shit, all of that stuff. But as far as a narrative structure, you, you can't do the entire life of a person in two hours. You need to go three and a half like Malcolm X mm-hmm. or um, Lawrence of Arabia or, you know, movies like that. If you're going to do the whole life, that's kind of what you have to do. I think. Yeah. Like I enjoyed Bohemian Rhapsody, but like you said, it's, it's mostly just little snippets of, Oh, here's a song here. Let's hear them perform the song. And then here's a little bit of story of how it may or may not have been created. Yeah, like I don't believe that they had a fight and then another one bites the dust was created. <laughs> yeah, I don't find that believable. And like walk, walk the line is a perfect example. Like, it's not about the entire life of Johnny Cash. It's just about the time from when he met June Carter to when he married June mm-hmm. Carter, which was like two years. Another good one is uh, the end of the line. It's about um, what's his name, David Foster Wallace, the author. Oh, is that the one of uh, Jesse Eisenberg? Yeah, and it's not about his whole life, but it's just about the months leading up to his suicide and the last interview he gave. Huh. I've never seen that. I always wanted to. Mm. Or Into the Wild is a good one. Yeah. The, just just about his journey to Alaska. The uh, the guy who played uh, David Foster Wallace was like completely fell, fell into the role. Like you would not even notice if it, he was different or not. He wow. looks exa- like he looks exactly like him. Who was it? Um, let me look that up for you, actually. It's a very good movie. Quentin. It's on Netflix, yes, right? Yes, it is. I remember putting it in my watch queue and then, like, forgetting about it. Uh, let's see. Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel? Really? Yeah, he did very good. Wow. Wow. Yeah, like, look up the picture of comparing the two. It's like, um, it's fantastic. Fucking forgetting Sarah Marshall guy. Yeah. That's really cool. I love when, like, comedy guys go to drama. Like, it's always interesting. It truly is. Definitely. Yeah. Like, um... Like Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems? For the ninth time we mentioned it, yes. Of course. Yeah. Um, Vince Vaughn and Psycho? Vince Vaughn and the, uh... <laughs> Cus Van Sant... The Gus Van Sant remake of Psycho as Norman Bates. I still love. The, were you the one that came up with that theory of why he made that movie? 
Oh, I didn't come up with that theory. That's a red letter media theory. Okay. I just fully support it. Yeah. I think he did it as a statement on pointless remakes and to ensure that no one else could ever do it, basically. Because he says, like, somebody asked him one time and he was like, they were like, why are you making this? And he was like, so no one else is able to. Or, or because like I can. That. Because I can, exactly. But really, when's the last time they made a, uh, not a biopic, uh, a remake that was that cookie cutter? Well, uh, that's, that's old it. boy. What's that? Old, old boy. boy. Point break. It's very common these days, so my, my yeah. point is completely lost. Point Break is awesome. The original. Can Point Break get a Criterion Collection? Movies? The original Point Break is a great movie. That's probably the best plot line ever conceived. What the FBI the, the dead president and all that? FBI Playboy goes to under FBI surfer Playboy goes undercover infiltrates goes undercover as a surfer Playboy. <laughs> yeah, who uh, and they they rob banks with president masks and on. they skydive. Yeah, and also Anthony Kiedis plays a surfer, and um, Gary Busey and gets, shows and, up for no yeah. reason. And uh, Anthony shoots himself in the foot and screams very hilariously, <laughs> and at one point says the famous line, "Oh shit, shit, we're fucked," and also says the other famous line, "That would be a waste of time." I love that movie. It's so good. And then you got... Can we please get it in Criterion? I don't think that's ever going to happen. That's our transition they for need, you. They need Catherine Bigelow films in the collection. This is the perfect opportunity. They need plenty of female uh, inclusion there, so... We support it. Yeah. Yeah. What, if, if you had to pick films that you feel like need a Criterion release. I have my now to give people background for the, the children watching this. So Criterion is this company that takes old movies or forgotten movies or important movies, gives them the best possible transfer, releases them on physical media, full of interesting bonus features. And the um, last of their kind really. There. Really, yeah, because we were talking we were lamenting the end of the two disc special edition a few weeks ago. Like, uh, Criterion's the only people doing that now. Except for, like, Arrow, I guess. Well, Arrow's mostly horror films. And Arrow's just a rip-off of the Criterion model. Basically. Yeah. As is Kino Lorber. That's another yes. one. Yes. No, Kino is an older company. They're definitely uh, definitely out there. The only thing I know about Kino is that they released Barton Fink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. Fair enough. Um, um well you go off your list I, I already got my couple i think okay um the first one is obviously the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert Ford. which i've just seen i uh, rate it out of 10 um it's definitely not the movie for me i'm probably giving it an eight i would watch it again okay. but i you know it, it just didn't really do much for me okay I, I appreciate it for being a good movie and that it being a beautiful movie obviously because um I'm drawing a blank. Roger Deakins shot it. Of course, the bastard. I definitely saw those comparisons to um, Days Days of Heaven. Is it called? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But um, definitely the 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 character that stood out was probably um, Casey Affleck's character. Because yeah. the entire movie, he's just like down, and he just like just feels like he's not important. 
and proceeds yeah. to not be important throughout the entire movie. Yeah, and he stays not important. Like, he's still invisible even after he gets famous, mm-hmm. which is, I think, part of the brilliance of the script. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to see that, the three-hour cut that I need injected into my veins. Yes. Um, I would love to see that get a release with commentary tracks, with all of those bonus features. They could do, like, a Brazil type of thing where they have both cuts available. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even the third, because apparently there's a four-hour cut also that was like, it was never released, but it exists. I don't know how true that is. Re- release the Dominic cut. Yeah, release the Dominic cut, exactly. Um, Freddy got fingered. Are we being serious I here? D- I actually would love to see that in the collection because I think it is a really important movie, even though it's the worst movie of all time. All right, we're... It's important for that reason. We're going far when we're talking about putting Armageddon on the Fair Criterion Collection, but putting an actual bad movie on there is not not recommended, nor will it ever happen. I will defend the inclusion of Armageddon to the death. It deserves its spot. Featuring such... Michael Bay is an, Michael Bay is an auteur filmmaker. <clears throat> May we remind you that Michael Bay has a Criterion release. He has two, in fact. What's the other one? The Rock. The Rock's on the Criterion Collection? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Featuring such classic lines as, how in the name of Zeus's butthole <laughs> did you get out of your cell? <laughs> he must have paid his way onto the collection. There's no way they would have chosen him naturally. Quentin Tarantino ghost wrote those movies. Did you know he that? He ghost wrote both of them? I believe so. Robert Town worked on the script for Armageddon also. Oh my god. Which is hilarious. The greatest, scre- as did Aaron, the greatest screenwriter as did of all Aaron time. Sorkin. The two greatest screenwriters of all time. Helped write Armageddon. Dear god. So did J.J. Abrams. That was like his first paid writing gig. Oh my god. Why? And the, the result was Armageddon. Now if you ghostwrite something, do you still get like uh, monetary credit for it if the movie makes money you get paid but you don't get um an actual credit on screen you have to i'm not sure how the crediting so you have to write like a certain percentage to get screen credit i'm not sure how exactly it works well it could be just if they just if they use one line you you get screen credit Mm -hmm. because i don't think michael aren't today a a right of the force awakens and they barely mm-hmm. used any of his, but then he ended up getting writing credit for it. But I don't know if that's like a hard and fast rule, because generally if you get brought in just to make new lines, they don't give you credit. Yeah. Like the Coen brothers do that a lot. They they, they ghost wrote Bad Santa. They ghost wrote like um, Fun with Dick and Jane. <laughs> Remember that Jim Carrey movie? Yes. Like they, they ghost wrote a lot of shit, but they don't have um, on-screen credit for any of that. Uh, that makes sense. There's always that rumor that so, uh, Kevin Smith had a, had a contribution to Goodwill Hunting, which is not true. But He did have a contribution to Coyote Ugly. Yes, yes, he did. He did. And um, Live Free or Die Hard. Yes, that one. those are definitely true, but he definitely did not uh, contribute to Goodwill Hunting, allegedly. Mm-hmm. They're like, those Boston yeah. boys can't write a nice movie like that. Like, I I think the funniest thing about, like, that rumor is it really shows how out of touch people are. Because nothing in, nothing in Goodwill Hunting screams Kevin Smith dialogue. No, not at all. 
as like you know Kevin Smith lines when you hear as them. As the foremost expert on Kevin Smith dialogue, <laughs> I'd say that's not yeah. the case. <laughs> like you hear, you listen, you you watch The Rock and you watch Armageddon, and you can pick out lines that are like, yeah, that's a Tarantino line, that's a Aaron Sorkin line, mm. that's a Robert Town line. But there is nothing in Goodwill Hunting that's Kevin's. Like even watching True Romance, you can tell that Tarantino wrote it if you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Because it has that, you know, that vibe. Yeah. So, um, um I, Criterion's that you want. God, I'd, yeah. I'd love to see Hard Eight in the collection. That's definitely a, a good choice. That's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie, for those who don't know. Starring my favorite actor, Philip Baker Hall. As we discussed last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, How about uh, F- and, Fistful uh, of Fingers? Fistful of Fingers would be great, too. The, the original Edgar Wright piece. The, the best Western ever filmed in um, Dorchester, I believe, was the tagline. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, other stuff, too. There's other stuff, too. Like, I feel like there's, there's a lot of directors that I would just, like, in general, I would like to see them in there, but I don't know which one. Like, Oliver Stone, I'm amazed he doesn't have any movies in the collection. Um, JFK probably could get on there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the doors. The doors has always been a well known, yeah, well known one of his. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm shocked that he doesn't have anything in there because he's so important in the annals of movie history. Mm-hmm. You never really hear people talk about him. It's probably because he's so controversial. I think that's why. Because Hollywood tends maybe one of his documentaries will get on. Hollywood tends to be more, um, definitely more liberal, but at the same time, they're conservative on their views. Like, yeah. they don't want you, like, stirring the pot. Yeah, much. and Oliver Stone definitely stirs. The, that's probably why Spike Lee has had so much trouble. Exactly. You know, it's fucked up. I would love to see more Spike Lee movies. Hollywood's definitely set in their ways in that regard. Mm-hmm. Malcolm X Criterion would be amazing. Yeah, there's plenty of Spike Lee uh, movies on the Criterion Collection. Or at least there's a decent enough chunk. Uh-huh. So he's definitely, you know, well-known on the independent circuit. Yeah. I'm um, surprised that more um, Linklater isn't on there. Um, Tony Stewart. I would love to see Clint Eastwood get in there. Clint Eastwood's too mainstream to get on the Criterion Collection. But he has enough movies that aren't mainstream that you don't associate with him. Yeah. Like, I could see Unfor- like Unforgiven could... could be on the collection, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, they're not going to put, like, Grand Torino or Million Dollar Baby on there, one of his, like, mega hits. Mm-hmm. Or like the original like Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns. They're not gonna put those on there. Oh, if they like, put Good the Bad and the Ugly on there, that would be a perfect. It would that be, would be a, but it will never happen because it, it makes too much money. Yeah, it would never make any sense. I mean, but like, like I, I I could see like something like the Bridges of Madison County. Like that was the one he did with Meryl Streep. Or like Play Misty for Me or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, Duck You Sucker. The original Dirty Harry. <laughs> The original Dirty Harry. That'd be something. Yeah, because I don't think that merely makes too much money. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah, it's generally a movie that they've had probably in the vault for years and nobody actually cares about it anymore. Yeah. Or people care about it, but it's not like it's not like something like Forrest Gump or you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something like Forrest like like Star Wars will never get in, yeah. even though it's super important in film history. I love how every but... time that the, uh, they put something saying that Star Wars is going to get the new 
let me rephrase that. A lot of the Star Wars fans always assume that the original cut is coming at some point. Like, as soon as it got sold to Disney, like, oh, we're getting the original cut. Like, they're so spoiled. Like, they act like that George is actually going to allow it. But it's never going to come. Never going to happen. If you want to see the original cut of Star Wars, it's available on uh, the Internet Archive. There's a, uh, a copy of it on there. But even st- we need American movie criteria. Well, there you go. You're starting my list. Oh boy! There you go. I don't mean to take anything away from you. Go no, ahead. You're good. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, American movies actually right there. I put it on the wall. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So, <clears throat> American movie. There's another one you have on the wall that I think should be in there. What's that? Actually, Dogma. Dogma. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's never going to happen either. Now that Harvey Weinstein is dying of coronavirus, maybe it will. Bob, release dogma to the people. <laughs> release the Kevin Smith cut. <laughs> That's hilarious. Release the Smith cut of, of Cop Out. I love when they made, um when they did the Mallrats, like uh, the newest release, they had him do like mm-hmm. another cut of it, even though he never made an original, he never made a second cut. Yeah. So he tossed in like some deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. Like there was one scene where they were at a revolutionary war party in the beginning of the what? And he was meeting with some exec, uh, the television executive that you see later in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then the somehow um, TS ends up like making her go to the hospital, and then he blame <laughs> and then the the woman blames it on Michael Rooker's character. What? And that's how the movie starts. Mm. And then later on in the scene, that scene where he's at uh, her house, there's a bunch of okay. there's a bunch of reporters coming to his house talking about the Revolutionary War party that happened the day before. I'm just doing this off of memory, so I'm, or it might have been a hot. I have to I have to watch this. This sounds like it's really bad because it's just like because Mallrats was like hated when it came out. And it's become a cult favorite since then. But, like, if this had stayed in, I can only imagine how much worse the reception would have been. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a couple of little things in it, like the uh, the quick stop made a cameo when they were driving by it. Okay. Like, little things like that. Well, that's, that's like, a cool thing. Yeah, mostly, like, the parts nice in the line. intro were, were added. Gotcha. And then uh, more parts with LaFour's, because LaFour's wasn't really a big part of the movie in the normal cut. Mm-hmm. So he had a couple. He's just kind of there. Yeah, he had a couple extra scenes. But um, okay, so things that I want to put on the collection. Obviously, American Movie is my number one choice. I think it will happen one yeah. day. I'm sure it will because it is one of the most important documentaries, you know, of all time. As far as I'm concerned, it's my favorite documentary mm-hmm. um, because it's just an inspirational tool for filmmakers. Yeah. Definitely. And it was, you know, one of the most successful, you know, independent projects of its time. It was very, uh, very successful at Sundance in, in 99. And I just don't feel like it gets the respect it deserves. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. Cause I ask like other film people, have you ever seen this? And they say, no, yeah. like it's unbelievable how many people don't know about it. Yeah. The first time I heard about it is, um, James Rolfe, angry, angry video game nerd, uh, always talks about it when he talks about his favorite films. Um, he mm-hmm. says it was the film that, you know, one of the films that inspired him to be a filmmaker just because yeah. of how like relatable it is. He refers to it as, as his filmmaking Bible <laughs> because like <laughs> everything you need to know about making a movie is in that movie. I tend to agree. 
just don't do what Mark Borchert did and you'll be fine. Yeah, it's basically a model of how not to make a movie. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, I just think it's a very, like a lot of people criticize it because they feel like the director took advantage of Mark. Like mm-hmm. taking advantage of the fact that he's kind of, you know, he gets a little emotional sometimes and he may slightly be an alcoholic at the time at least. But um, the opening lines of the movie really, like, as far as I'm concerned, deject that because he's talking about how much of a failure he is and how, you know, he really wants to succeed succeed in the world. Mm-hmm. And just throughout the whole movie, you see that journey of him, you know, you know, anything that a young filmmaker would do, you know, borrowing money from your parents or your family or getting your mom to act in something or, yeah, you know. Getting your friends to help you out on the crew and as actors. And exactly. All that stuff going to a, a set on the first day and there's like 10 people there and then by the day three there's like maybe one person left yeah you know that's a very relatable thing especially with student films you'll get that a lot so guerrilla filmmaking in places without permits mm-hmm. all of that good shit speaking of guerrilla filmmaking my number two choice would be el mariachi Ooh, because el, yes. el mariachi yes please yes, el mariachi has never received a as far as i'm concerned it's never received a regular release Especially now on Blu-ray, it's never been released. And Rodriguez has said the best cut of his film was actually the one that he distributed on VHS tape. Because mm-hmm. the the masters he made from that were from the original, you know, negative. Right. So even the, so the, 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 what do you call it, the copy that you see on DVD or in, you know, if you're able to see it in a theater is, you know, a secondhand version of that. Release the Rodriguez cut. Exactly. So that was another important independent movie. I'm a very big fan of indie movies, as as you can probably yes, you as are. you can probably tell. <laughs> like obviously some of the '90s, big '90s movies got them. Like Sex, Sex, uh, Lies, and Videotape got one. Yeah. Um. Obviously, Do the Right Thing. She's got to have it. Should get mm-hmm. one too. Reservoir Dogs almost definitely would have if it wasn't like such a cult hit. Yeah, it's definitely too popular to get a Criterion release. Mm-hmm. The only Tarantino movie I ever see getting a Criterion release is probably Jackie Brown. I could I could see Jackie Brown getting it, but even then, I think it makes too much money. Yeah, that and True Romance are probably the only ones that I'd say might get any sort of chance of that. But Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, we'll never get it. I could imagine Natural Born Killers in the collection. I could see that too. Yeah, definitely. Because they're not. There's another Oliver Stone for there you. There you go. You knock out two birds with one stone, Oliver Stone, Tarantino. Exactly. Yeah, it's surprising because um, Tarantino's like one of the biggest independent, quote-unquote, directors ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that would be so that would be my second choice would be uh, El Mariachi. What else you got? Let me think. Um, yeah, I'd probably go with Dogma for my third choice because obviously Dogma hasn't been re-released in probably 10, 15 years. And it's probably his best film. It's one of the most original movies that exist out there. I've got one more for you. What's that? American Splendor. Oh, my God. The the, the beautiful, beautiful portrait of an outsider artist. You've seen that, right? No, I still have not seen it. We have to watch it. You're going to love it. You love weird artists. You love indie films. You love experiments. This is a documentary, a cartoon, and a narrative feature all at the same time. Everything I'd ever want in a movie. Yeah. It has Paul Giamatti, the master. The master uh, of just being the master of just being there. Yeah. 
But yeah, it has a it has Judah Friedlander in it too. Who? As like the nerdy guy. Who's Judah Friedlander? He's like a, he's that comedian of like the the beard and the trucker hat. The guy from Thirty Rock. Oh okay, yes, I remember. Yeah, who does like the sarcastic comedy, and he's like, "I'm the best in the world." <laughs> what do you guys? What problems do you guys have? I'll fix them for you. He was my favorite character from Thirty Rock. Yeah, he's in the movie as like a, a complete trans. Like he won an Independent Spirit Award for the movie. Mm. Is there like a complete transformation into this character Toby, who was like this real guy who was like a super nerd at, at the company that the dude worked at, and um, he he became like a minor celebrity because of Harvey's comics and because of appearing in like MTV ads for them. Mm-hmm. Makes that's sense. that's cool. American Splendor. Uh, let's see four. I go off my list of oh, Swingers deserves a criterion. It's a phenomenal independent movie. I'm actually surprised that it doesn't have one. I would I would buy that up immediately. Especially back in like the nineties when they were starting out and they had stuff. They they put like the Wes Anderson stuff in there, they put like Armageddon in there. I'm surprised that Swingers was never bumped over because that was making some noise. It wasn't a huge hit, but it wasn't making it was making some noise. It was very chasing Amy ish. Yeah. You know. So I'm I'm always been surprised. Yeah, independent movies seem to get a lot of the great uh, criterion attention. Mm-hmm. Usually a lot of early directors like you, John Cassavetes or someone like Spike Lee. I'm still surprised that uh, She's Gotta Have It doesn't have one. It's also never been released on Blu ray, so that's another trash yeah. travesty. Although a lot of his movies are getting re-released now, so that's good. There was a there was a release of uh, Bamboozled this year on the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people uh, say Boys in the Hood. I can see that. I think Boys in the Hood makes too much money for it to ever be a possibility. I would love it also. But if I was going to go with a John Singleton movie, I would go with actually his second one, which is uh, Poetic Justice. Mm-hmm. That's the, the Tupac one. Yeah. Yeah. Is it an actual Tupac biopic? No, it's... it's oh, he was in it's the movie. Just, it stars uh, Janet Jackson and Tupac. It's like a rom-com. Oh, okay, basically. I'm thinking of something else then. Yeah, you're thinking of the, the shitty Tupac biopic yes. from a couple years ago. Yes. Yeah. All eyes on me. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the rapper biopic cinematic universe. I love it. Because they were they were trying to connect that to um, Straight Outta Compton and the Biggie Smalls movie. I don't know why. All right, then. <laughs> um, and the last one I'll probably say is Roger and Me would probably have to get a Criterion release. Oh, yeah. The most important, the the second most important documentary of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Your boy, Michael Moore. Yes, my boy, Michael Moore. You could play Michael Moore in a biopic. I, I have heard people say I do look like him on occasion. Matt Dixon as Michael Moore. Um, my second favorite director. If- <laughs> If we made a Michael Moore biopic, you would obviously be Michael Moore. Who would I be? You? Um, yeah. Who's in the Michael Moore? Michael Moore's agent. <laughs> no, who's in the who's in his movies that you could play? I don't know. George, That's the thing. Be, be George W. <laughs> I, I'll be George W. Bush. There's an old saying in Tennessee. There's an old saying where I come from. 
we need to to make machines at the machine making place I call it America's where wings take dream I call it all Americans to stop these terrorist killers thank you now watch this drive my favorite uh, my favorite video ever um, my favorite uh, George W. Bush joke of all time is the one on Family Guy where like they go up to his tree house. It's like, Mr. President, the country is under attack. Go away. I'm reading Super Fudge. It's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he's um he's a definitely a very controversial figure. Michael Moore, not George Bush. Obviously George Bush is controversial. Yeah. Because he's a moron, but Oliver Stone made a George Bush movie one time. W. Yeah, with Josh Brolin. Yes, I remember. And Elizabeth Banks as Laura Bush. <laughs> and that was still when he was in office, is the funny part. Yeah. Do you think he's like, took his, took his whole office and be like, hey, we're going to go see W. Do you think, do you think um, Oliver Stone will ever make a Donald Trump movie? I mean, he's probably very against them, so I could see that happening. Do you think there will be a Donald Trump movie at some point? Um, no, because I feel like he would definitely have his life rights available. Although, is a president's life rights null and void when you become president is the, is the case. It might be. I don't know. Because why would George Bush allow there to be a biopic about him while he's president? Yeah, I think I think the presidency is And the is Bushes are very, game. very rich, so... I feel yeah. like they could stop something like that. Can you imagine a Trump movie? Who would play Trump? Um, Ron Perlman. I can't see it. He did a he did an impression of him on a uh, on a show once, and I thought I could I could definitely see it. I can see it looks wise, but I don't know if maybe he can change his voice. I just don't see it like that. Yeah, I think you'd be a good Trump. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think I'd like that. I don't support this idea. What about an Obama biopic? They already made one. They did. Yeah. It's a- was it good? Not from what I remember. I saw a little bit of it, and I was like, eh. I think it was about him and his wife. It wasn't really about the presidency. Gotcha. Um, but obviously, I could see John David Washington playing Obama. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, that would definitely... Obviously, that's my, my go-to. Corey Hawkins would be good, too. Corey Hawkins. That's the... um. Hmm. He played... Um, I could see him playing a... um. What's his face? He was in Black Klansman. He played uh, Stokey Carmichael. I could see him playing. Um, who's the Who's the governor of New Jersey? Not the governor. The uh, The senator, Booker. Corey Booker. Corey Booker. I could see him playing yeah. Cory Booker. Who would play Chris Christie in the Trump movie? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> who's old enough at this point? <sighs> that'd be a great. Uh, that'd be a great role. Chris Christie. I'd love to see Chris Christie played in a movie. Adam Sandler as Chris Christie. I mean, maybe Jonah Hill. If he's a little older. Yeah, maybe when he gets a little older, do one of those transformational roles. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just have Gary Oldman do it, because Gary Oldman can do no wrong. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> this late this this late, or, uh, late in his life? Anthony Hopkins is... He already played Nixon. Now he can Anthony Hopkins in a dual role as Donald Trump and Chris Christie. I support this. That um that 
biopic about Nicolas Cage that's coming out soon. <laughs> oh yeah, where he plays himself. I'm so ready for this. That, that's like the movie he was born to make. What other biopics do people play them? It's like there's there's that there's Howard Stern with Private Parts. I think that's the only two. Oh no, Jackie um, Robinson yeah. played himself in a biopic. Oh yeah, in the Jackie Robinson story. Muhammad Ali. Yep. In the greatest. I guess there, it has happened a couple times. Not common. I don't know if I don't know if it's a biopic, but Arlo Guthrie plays himself in Alice's Restaurant. Mm. But it's not really a biopic if it's just about that one day. Yeah. Yeah. Um. People playing themselves in movies. That'd be an interesting topic for one day. Yeah. Why does it happen? Does it ever work out? Mm -hmm. We'd have to look that up more because I'm not really sure. I... Remember that Clint Eastwood movie about the the terrorists on the train? Oh, um, yeah, we didn't get received very well. No, but those guys played themselves. It was like the five fifteen to something, yeah, or something like that. In the fighter, like the boxing trainer is like the real boxing trainer of Mickey Ward. Really, the old guy? Yeah. The yeah. um, the police chief guy. Yeah. Oh, that's really him? Like, that's really him. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah. Back to that idea of uh, actual people playing roles that we were talking about. I would love to, I would love to do, like, an experimental film one day where I just take, like, if there's some big event, I just get everybody to play themselves and I just, I would see what happens. Mm -hmm. That seems like it would be fun. Yeah. You know? There's an interesting... Um... If you look at Slacker, uh, Linklater's first uh -huh. film, that's per that's kind of an experiment like that. A lot of the actors in the movie are just locals, you know, mm -hmm. untrained actors, and it kind of just takes place over the course of a day. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of. I still have to watch Slacker. I've never seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's definitely ahead of its time. It is on the Criterion Collection, so. Oh boy. Yes. Is Barnes and Noble delivering right now? I might have to order some. Some Criterions. Yeah. All this talk about Criterion releases and we haven't mentioned the Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at myself more than anything because they're my favorite directors. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't think Fargo or Big Lebowski will ever get one. Fargo would... I think that I could see... Because um, Blood Simple's on there, their first movie. Mm -hmm. um, I could see Miller's Crossing getting one. I, it's, it's the, the one that sticks out to me as like the most likely i think is the man who wasn't there never heard of that one that's that's the billy bob thornton one mm. so right after um right after old brother came out they did this um this movie called the man who wasn't there it's like this noir like tribute film noir like film noir black and white film noir old school hollywood dark comedy and then there's an alien element, too, which is very Coens-ish to blend genres like that. Billy Bob Thornton is there. It's an early Scarlett Johansson performance. James Gandolfini. Ooh. And the reason I can envision that being a release is because it was it won, like, the best director or the Palme d'Or or something at Cannes. It shared it with um, Mulholland Drive that year. 2001? But, um, but, yep. 2001? Yep. But uh, that uh, Joel Cohen, because he was the only credited director back then, uh, 
I guess you could say the Cohen brothers, but technically in name only, Joel Cohen is the only person ever to win Best Director at Con three times. And uh, uh, the man who wasn't there is the one that did it. Has anyone ever won the Palm d'Or more than once? Uh, Francis Ford Coppola did. What's the second one he got? Oh, for the... Um... The Conversation in 74 and Apocalypse Now in 79. Okay. I've always heard that Billy Bob Thornton is like very against people asking him about his movie career. Why? I've like I've heard um a couple people like once he these guys they got a they got tickets to a Billy Bob Thornton concert, and he always does like mm-hmm. the Q and A in between. Gotcha. And he made the specific point not to ask him a movie question, but instead he asked him about his music, and he felt like he was <laughs> he was happy that somebody didn't ask him a movie question. <laughs> He also apparently does not want to talk about his 28-day marriage to Angelina Jolie or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> Didn't she get a tattoo of his, of his name on her? She got a tattoo of his name, said Billy Bob. I think Steve-O got the Billy Bob tattoo. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> so with the, um, with the quarantine right now, I heard AMC's uh, losing a little bit of money. Is that so? Yeah, there was a reports that they might uh, they might end up going bankrupt at some point. I feel like that's going to happen a lot as we um, mm-hmm. wind this thing down. A lot of like, especially smaller businesses. Like I was thinking the other day, I was like, I can't wait to go back and hit up Fye again. I haven't been there in a while, and I was like, uh... will they even <laughs> be open after this? Like this is really uh, this is treading dangerous territory for places like that to be closed this long. Any business that was possibly closing, like Sears or FYE, is probably most certainly nearing the end. Oh, yeah. Sears has got to be done by now. Kmart, all of that shit. Well, Sears owns Kmart, and Kmart went out of business. So, yeah. I don't think there's any. Like there's, there's no Kmart's left. There's no way. I think there still is one Kmart left in our area. Yeah. Yeah, the only FYE but, I know that's um, still around here is the one in the mall. Mm-hmm. So in the Newburgh Mall, yeah. to be exact. Yes, the Newburgh Mall. Which is the Kingston one still open? The FYE in Kingston. I've never. I don't think I've ever been there. I've been there a couple times, but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the one we it's the one we saw in Woodbridge was by the last FYE I've seen in a while. Well, because literally the next day after we went there, like everything shut down. Yeah. <laughs> so. Literally. Yeah, the one we went to in um what mall were we at that it closed? Uh we were in Jersey, I think. Yeah, uh oh Paramus. Yeah, the Paramus, Paramus, the Paramus Mall one went out of business. Yeah. So I mean it's only my And Buddy Sports Quarter moved over there. Ooh. We love buddies. But they're probably going to be done, too, because, like, all those sports stores, like, you, you wonder about, like, how long can places like that stay out of business? I wonder how they stay open to begin with, because all their crap's overpriced. Yeah. Any of those retail yeah. sports shops you go to, they're so overpriced with everything. Yeah, it's 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 scary, man. It's like, how will this, what will a post-coronavirus economy look like? I mean, if AFC goes out, I mean, they're the. I think Regal's the biggest theater chain in the country. So, we'll see. I mean, if if like, the big five companies realize that, hey, we can just release our movies for twenty dollars on digital, you know, that's the end of the cinema experience, right there. Pretty much. 
I mean, obviously you have your independent theaters that are, you know, funded by donations and all that sort of a thing. Like the Paramount. But how long can, like, but they're not going to be showing new releases. No, like things like, like the Paramount Theater in Middletown, they're, um, they're a national landmark. So they're running completely on donations. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll, they'll like, stick around for like, they, they do release like normal releases, but it's generally like things that. It's like for one day only. No, they usually do like a weekend or a week run of, but they only play one movie at a time. So that's the thing. Mm -hmm. And they do their classic runs here and there, play some older movies, but in a way, in a way, could that actually be better for cinema? To only be available at like art house theaters? No in in the long term, right? Because if you have to switch something out every week, that forces people to see a variety of things. Mm -hmm. It forces people to open up their palettes a little bit more. So you're not gonna you won't have people seeing Avengers Infinity War 700 times because they'll only be able to see it seven times and then something else will come out. Yeah. So will that will that be actually better in the long run because it'll it'll stop people from just obsessing over these two or three things and it'll it'll get people to open up to new ideas or new experiences. I'm going to reboot that because what's happened, what would happen there is that you would get the companies that have the most money are the ones that are going to get those weekly releases. Right. So obviously if Marvel decides they can just say, Oh, we're going to push four movies out in the month of May or June. Mm -hmm. And then they could somehow negotiate to have all the slots filled for that particular month. Yeah. And that would kind of kill any chance of an indie movie getting a getting attention there. Mm -hmm. There's there's yeah, no there's no right. way they're ever going to stop. There there will exist theaters in some capacity because, I mean, like I said, if you put Avengers or anything where you know the fanboys are going to phone with the mouth for it, they're going to go yeah. see it eight nine times and they don't really care because they're getting the money. So remember that guy who saw it like Endgame or whatever like. 105 times or something absurd like that like he went every day that's just somebody asking for attention i'm sorry yeah, but like <laughs> i i agree but like the dedication to go every day and waste 15 bucks of your life savings except for five dollars on tuesdays i just hate when people like to get attention like that like that's not fandom that's just begging for attention as far as i'm concerned yeah that's like you're spending what is what is 15 times seven you're spending like up you can add in like concessions and shit you're spending like 120 dollars a week just to go see some stupid movie yeah for no reason other than to say oh yeah i saw endgame 105 times <laughs> that's like your whole paycheck if you're working like a bit of a wage job basically right that would be like what yeah. a third of my paycheck <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, like, you take out rent, that's, like, all my spending money right now. Like, where is this guy getting his money? Is he rich or something? He must be. He must be, like, let's interview this guy for a documentary. Like, my dude. The man who saw it. You have every right. If you want to go see the movie every week, that's, that's your right as a human being. I would love to, like, interview that guy and just clown the shit out of him. Be like, was it worth it? Oh, we could actually ask, was there a legitimate reason for it? Imagine if we could email him and yeah. get him on the show. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Let's do it. See if we can find him. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the last topic I had in mind was um, they were talking about the NFL draft 
I'm being held remotely this year, obviously because of the situation. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think it'll be that much different. It'll be, it'll be bizarre because like I'm not sure how you would film it. Like I, I don't know how they're gonna air it live because like you could just do a special on ESPN not... and just you know have cameras on the people, but then you can't celebrate with your family because you're supposed to be distant. <laughs> Yeah, you can't, like, how are you even going to get the camera crews into people's houses unless they've been, like, checked for corona and shit like that? Mm. So I don't know. But it's probably, for the GMs, I feel like it would be easier, you would think, because it's like, you don't have to worry about, you know, you don't have to be in, a, in like, the pressure cooker of a situation. You can just be chilling out. Um, you can stay alone. You can have a level head. Mm. You know, you can just be texting back and forth if you want. The only thing I think it would be, it, it's going to be interesting is I, I bet you there's going to be a lot less trades. A lot less trades because people aren't going to be able to meet face to face and orchestrate shit in the back room. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to just kind of sit there. If they want something, they'll have to call the people up or have their their associates call the people up. But I mean, they're already doing that as it is, because I'm sure most of these owners are older people anyway, so. Yeah, I don't know. so you're probably, I feel like you're going to see a lot of people just stay at their draft pick and just um, just see what they get. I mean, you could just wait and then trade them later in the year mm -hmm. if they still have any value, because as far as right now, there's, everybody has a pretty equal value, because, you know, there's not going to, there's probably not going to be a combine. Yeah, no. Year. There's not, I don't think. I think it's already been canceled. Yeah. I don't know how you would have one. No, that'd be... You just have to have everybody work out individually, I guess. Yeah, be... But then you're not getting correct numbers if you do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there'd be no way to do it. Because it might be, might be windy at Joe Burrow's house and um, sunny and warm at Tua's house. You just never know. Mm -hmm. Is that why so the combine is created to begin with, to give an equal playing field for people to... Yeah, the idea is that you do it in a dome in the same environment, same temperature all of that stuff so that everybody is on an even playing field that's interesting i never thought of that like that but that's why like that's why you see times be, be different like people will say oh he did this at the combine but he did this at his pro day because the pro days are usually outside and on your college campus mm -hmm. they might do so better in different environments yeah you might you might know the area a little better you know what to go for it might just happen to be windy. You get a little wind boost or a wind slowdown. Mm -hmm. So the combine numbers are really where the exact science comes in, as exact as you can be when dealing with human beings. Gotcha. So once the NFL season actually starts, what's it going to? You think they're going to have a, you know, what do you call it? What's the first preseason? I don't know. That's the. It's the weird thing. Like. I feel like the NFL season is going to start because it's it's like September, or August. Like I feel like this will be done by then. It has to be, right? I mean, we but don't like, know. We don't know. That's the thing. I don't. But I also kind of feel like somebody, one of the other leagues, has to start up before the NFL does. Because, mm -hmm. like, you think about it, just just size wise. I mean, if we, if we kind of if like when we when we went down to this quarantine thing, like it started with. You can't in in early March. It was like you can't have groups of more than a thousand, 
And then it was, you can't have groups of 500. And then it was, you can't have groups of 100. And it whittled all the way down to like, no gatherings of more than like five, I think it mm. is now. Um, if that's, if it ramps up like that, I mean, you would have to get back to like a thousand people territory before you could even think about having a football game. Because like just the two, it's 53 man roster. So just the two teams themselves there's a hundred people more on the field. Hundred. That's not even, and that's not even counting coaches, medical staff, concessions trainers, people, concessions security. people, all that stuff, security, announcers, camera crew. You know, so you, I think you would have to get back to. It was somebody else because like you can you can have it, and if you don't have any fans in the arena, you could do an NBA game or a hockey game with less than a hundred people. But you literally cannot do a football game with less than it's impossible unless you shrink it down and like only have 35 people from each team dressed but then like you're gonna have people playing both sides of the ball higher chance of an injury all of that stuff why is there so so many people on a roster it's just it's just the the sheer size of it because you think about like baseball you have a similar number of people on the field to a football field like nine versus 11 but there's um there's a there's no i take it back because baseball and basketball you only have 10 people on the field at one time because in basketball it's five versus five in baseball it's it's i guess you have a max of 15 because it's the most you can have is four from the opposing team, bases loaded and a batter, and then nine. So hockey is similar, it's 12, but football it's 11 v 11. So there's 22 people at minimum on the field at any given time. And then you have to have backups, you have to have rotating guys, you have to have insurance policies. So it just adds up. It's just proportionally, it's the same amount of people on the roster so you have one position and then there's maybe your backup gets injured how does that work like like kind of like it does in hockey do they have like a backup backup some positions other positions you just move like there's usually three quarterbacks but um there's no there's usually like no backup kicker for example if your kicker gets hurt they just make the punter kick yeah or they make the quarterback kick because a lot of QBs were kickers in high school. Yeah, that stuff. Luckily, football's not as exotic as hockey is. Yeah, exactly. Those hilarious hockey rules. <laughs> Those are some good ones there. My, my favorite is the fact that you can have a guy. You have to pick players from the stand, uh, people from the stands, and players from each team to officiate if the officials don't come. That's amazing. <laughs> Did you have any topics in mind? I'm about done. Okay. How about you? I think I'm about good. I only have those three, so. I was gonna say I think that that's all a good place to end off. Yeah. What are you uh, listening to or watching at the moment to finish off? I've been watching a bunch of Clint Eastwood films. Uh, Last night, I watched Sully for the first time, mm. the Tom Hanks uh, as Chesley Sullenberger film. Me and John saw that at a friend of the show, John. Yeah. We saw that. It's good. We saw that in Dolby. Um, like, kind of, you, like, feel like you're in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Which is was... kind of dumb, but, you know. 
It was, it was good. It was very, very good. He, he's Clint Eastwood is such an underrated director. He really is mm. because this guy is like an absolute master of like, I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for his directing. He's, he's an absolute master of just kind of mixing like these cinema verite, you know, very natural documentary styles with a narrative because his movies are always in natural light. There's always very, it's always very simple camera angles and he just lets the people tell the story. And he's all he's he's constantly casting like everyday people who do the stuff. A lot of people probably forget that he's even the director because he's in most of his movies. Yeah. But like he he's he's so it's so naturalistic like in Million Dollar Baby, I was thinking this last night when I was watching Sully because he got some of the, the passengers to play themselves. But it was like, I was thinking about, like, in Million Dollar Baby, the rival boxer is a real woman kickboxer. Mm -hmm. In Gran Torino, the Asian people next door are really from that exact specific Asian culture and really lived in Detroit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's all stuff like that. You know, and, and that's in the in Invictus. Remember Invictus? Mm -hmm. Like those rugby players are real rugby players. Like it's other than Matt Damon, of yeah, course. Yeah. But and Scott Eastwood, who's also one of the rugby players. But you know, it's he doesn't get enough credit, I feel like. So I've been catching up on a lot of his stuff. Sully was good, eight out of ten. Um average biopic. Yeah. Another another perfect example of a very specific moment movie. They didn't. There's a couple. There's a flashback to Sully in the Air Force, but they don't really do. Oh, this was Sully when he was a kid and he dreamed of being a pilot. This was him through flight school. Like that would have just been dumb. And more of a cares. more of a visual movie than a, than a story movie. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So. And the uh, Michael Rappaport cameo was pretty funny. <laughs> I love Michael Rappaport. <laughs> my favorite michael rapaport story is that he lost the the howard stern fantasy football league to like this nerd who works on the howard stern staff <laughs> literally like a sports commentator loses to some schmuck yep who doesn't know the rules of football my favorite story is he was on i think he was on joey diaz and he was talking about how he has crohn's or colitis so there's a lot of times he'll have to find be able to use a bathroom, so he'll just shit in the street. He's like, what's the issue with shitting in the street? You know, if you gotta go, you gotta go. Joey said that, or Michael Rappaport said Michael Rappaport said that. You fucking cocksucker. You don't even understand. You gotta clean up after you. What are you wiping your ass with? Your hand? Unbelievable. Tremendous. <laughs> Tip top bagoo. Uh, I haven't been watching much myself. I actually, I, have, I watched a couple. I watched uh, Donnie Brasco yesterday. Was mm -hmm. not a huge fan. You were not impressed. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, what was it about it that just didn't speak to you, you think? Neither. It just seemed like uh, Al Pacino was playing himself as usual. Uh -huh. Nothing about his character brought me in at all. Okay. Um, Johnny Depp was probably amidst his, you know, fame at the time. Yeah, you know his big rise to fame, like pre-Caribbean. 
um, career. Did you like the Paul Giamatti cameo? What, was it later in the movie? Because I did not finish it. Oh, um, he's one of the FBI agents. One of the people really? that's like wiretapping. Really? Yeah. Oh. No, I didn't yeah. I didn't even notice. Yet again, you know who I did? yet again another Paul Giamatti s- cameo. That's a movie that I like but don't love. I think I, I would give it a seven probably. Um, yeah, not a bad movie. I know just, who I do. What's that? Not a bad movie, just not my thing. Mm-hmm. You know who I do like in it though, Michael Madsen. Yes, yes. Good in everything. Yes, he was one of the. But another thing with him is he just kind of sticks out. Mm-hmm. Like he's okay in Reservoir Dogs, where that's like his his job to stand out. He's like the one right. of the main villains of the movie. But um, I don't know. I, he was kind of he was kind of one of the main villains in Donnie Brasco too. Yeah. But um, you know, Anne Hache is bad. Yeah. His wife. Another, yeah, another Gus Van Sant psycho alone. <laughs> yeah, I just it didn't do anything for me. Mm. Disappointed. I would have loved like to. I would have loved to like it, but didn't do it for me. And then I started watching yeah. Wall Street. That's pretty uh, pretty interesting. The Blu-ray transfers got awful. Mm. But uh, you know, speak. Greed is good. Yes. Um, Charlie Sheen, his finest hour. Him and his father playing in the same movie. Yeah. Yeah. I always it was weird because I always thought um, Michael Douglas was his dad, not realizing that Martin no, Sheen is Michael his... Douglas is just. It's like Matthew McConaughey and Leo in the beginning of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. It's like that kind of bi- that business relationship. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 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 That's all I got for today. It's all I got for today. All right, Skip. Always good talking to you. Of course, children's programming. Episode four. Um, follow us on the Twitters at uh, Podcast Children on Twitter. Children's programming yeah. on the gram. Um, all of our, um, all of my social medias are at Nick Parodies. My uh, social. Yours are Dat Mixon, I believe. Dat Mixon with one T. Um, yeah. Blue Zodiac pictures on Instagram. Um, RST doc. Yes, follow the RST documentary progress. RST doc on Instagram. RST documentary on Twitter. That's kind of annoying, but what can you do? <laughs> you know, when things are taken, you got to make do. Yeah. We can all be Billy Joe Armstrong and just buy the username for people. That'd be nice. Yeah. So, all right, Skip, it's been a pleasure. Be back here uh, same time next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Oh, yes. Uh, do, do The Valiant Warriors Indeed. return for another week of action. We got to remember to talk about the Chuck E. Cheese Twitter account next week. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> I have to go through it again. The, ra- the rabbit hole goes deep. So, <laughs> clearly. So, all, right. all right. All right, Skip. Talk to you later. Yep. Take care. <laughs>